0: There's a big problem of managing that access, especially as people come into a company, you know, move through their positions, leave an organization. There's a problem of over-provisioning. People have more access than they they really need.
1: Welcome to Identity Radicals, conversations with cybersecurity experts. The podcast that gives you exclusive access to the latest insights and strategies in the world of ever-evolving identity threats. Brought to you by VESA. And now, here's your host, Jason Garut.
2: Welcome to Identity Radicals, the show where I have conversations with today's leaders on the front lines of cybersecurity. My name is Jason Garut. I am the CMO of Vesa, the identity security company, headquartered right here in Silicon Valley. My guest today is David Taberski. He's the VP of Information Security and the CISO of Wynn Resorts, uh, an establishment that I've visited more than a few times. David has an impressive 15-year career there, and he was actually the first CISO of Wynn Resorts. So as you might guess, he's in charge of just about everything. So things like security architecture and data security and incident management, cloud security compliance, business continuity, and of course, identity and access management. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. 15 years at any job but uh, especially a, a, a prestigious brand like Wynn Resorts is impressive. So congratulations on that. I'm sure that you've seen a lot. Maybe give our listeners a sense
0: for the scale of the operations under your purview. Wind Resorts uh, operates in North America and Macau right now, which is a, an SAR of China. In total, we have uh, 26,000 employees today. Roughly 12,000 of those are computer users. We have just over 400 applications that take to run the facilities. We operate in Las Vegas, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, like I said, in Macau, China, and we're beginning to build out in the United Arab Emirates. So we cover the majority of the world, and my responsibility covers everywhere that wind goes. Now, because it is a casino,
2: I would imagine that you get some exposure to interesting security threats, you know, my old joke is that most of what I know about casino security comes from watching Ocean's Eleven. So you got to keep your eye out for George Clooney. But maybe you have a more real example. What's, what's something unusual? Totally unus- for a different reason you have to watch out for George Clooney, but not because of Ocean's <laughs>
0: Eleven. <No. laughs> what is maybe something that unusual that you've encountered from the security side? Well, we have Black Hat here in Las Vegas every year. Def Con, besides all of the the fun and interesting characters from around the world, you know, come to our city, and they love to we'll say wreak havoc as much as they can. Normally, they're pretty good, and they're they're here to learn. But sometimes they have some fun. The the digital signage that we have up and down the strip is always one of those big threats that they go after because we have big signs and uh, apparently they they love to publish their faces on big signs and so they're they're always going after that. Luckily, Wynn has not the largest sign anymore in some ways since the sphere was opened and it's the big you know big monstrous video processing solution. So we became, a you know, a secondary target. That's a great thing for us. But we still have to be, you know, be aware and, and always be vigilant to make sure that they don't get a hold of it. You know, and then there's always the fun things like, you know, one year I remember that these guys decided to do basically a coordinated attack on one of the hotels and and brought a couple hundred people and everybody inserted their room key all at the same time in a synchronized event. And of course, you know, that many requests to the database through the systems to unlock the doors simultaneously caused a little bit of trouble and people were locked out of their rooms for several hours. And so, like I said, they come up with some pretty creative stuff while they're in town. You got to appreciate the ingenuity. And it sounds like these are
2: fairly harmless on the spectrum of risks. But of course, some things are more serious. And so when you think about the data that you need to protect for win, you know, what kind of applications are the ones that you're most worried about?
0: Well, I mean, we have everything from, you know, hotel management to our food and beverage applications to point of sale to our gaming applications to PCI-related functions our financials, it crosses the gamut of everything you can think of. And not everything requires the same level of, you know, capabilities, but we are a highly regulated industry. So we have gaming controls in every state that we operate in. We have SOX regulation because we're a publicly traded company. We, you know, have health information with our insurance. We have all kinds of different functions so, yeah, it, it, it runs the full gamut around the board of, of what we have to protect. And, and data is, of course, the most critical element that, that contains the value that people want to steal. So we're, we're always vigilant about what data we have, how long we store it, where it is, um, and how we protect it. I have heard you talk before about two principles that are important
2: to you. One, you say there is no perimeter – anymore. And number two, it's not a question of if there's going to be a breach, but when. And I just wonder how these two principles influence how you approach security.
0: Well, those are, I mean, every salesperson on the planet right now in a security, they use those two terms because that's how they feel that they're going to sell their product into the the organization, right? Because, oh, there's no perimeter anymore. You need to buy my product because it'll solve every problem you ever have. You don't even have to install it. Just buy it. Put it. just That's all you got to do. You just buy it and it'll fix all your problems, right? Every sales guy. And then, you know, on top of that, it's, like I said, it's not a matter of if but when. And you've probably heard that conversation a hundred times from everybody out there. But my statement behind that is, is if you really believe those things are true, and I'm and, and not denying that they aren't true because I do think that they are, you, you ask yourself the question then from a security perspective, a security professional perspective like a CISO, what becomes important Right. What is what are the things that that you really need to focus on? Now, there's always going to be regulations, regulated industries like we're in. So there's things we have to do to meet compliance requirements, regulatory requirements, those kinds of things that you have to do. That's kind of bread and butter. But I've really narrowed it down to what I believe is a concise list of very, three very very high level things that you have to do based on the fact of those two statements. And in and it's talking about the modern world, right? So you go back 20 years ago and everybody was like put in firewalls, put in this, block your data, you know, protect your network, put your arms around it, build big high walls and nobody's going to get in. Well, that doesn't work anymore because there's no perimeter anymore, right? So the question becomes is what what is important so the first is your infrastructure right that might just be the 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 cell phone you're on or the laptop you're on you have to define what is it that is the infrastructure that runs the company And build a protection around it. And it might be 30 different principles because you have mobile workers on laptops, you have a data center somewhere, a bunch of cloud services, SaaS services, integrations. And so you might have different principles of protecting your infrastructure, but you got to define what is your infrastructure and how do you protect it and build that strategy. The second is, of course, protecting the data. The data is the value because that's what people want. If you didn't have data, nobody would – I mean nobody would really care because that's how they make their money, whether that's credit card information, proprietary information. What are they stealing? It's data, right? That's, that's what people are after. So you have to protect your data, and your infrastructure helps you define that on how you're going to protect it. But the very third thing is identity and, and protecting the people. You need to know who has access to all of those systems, all of those applications, all of that data. There's a big problem of managing that access, especially as people come into a company, you know, move through their positions, leave an organization. There's a problem of over-provisioning. People have more access than they, they really need. They come up with scenarios that you find that people are, that are, they're using data in ways you don't expect. And so you need to have visibility into that. You need to have the capability of managing that. So like I said, three things, infrastructure, data, and identity. And those three things are the only things that I've come up with today from a high, high level. And I mean, none of that is an easy answer, mind you. Those are very high level statements that are very complex, But those are the only three things I know of today that a security professional should be focused on to protect their organization, and it meets those two statements. Then you should be able to defend your organization effectively against the bad guys. And I use that word should loosely (laughs) because they... Well, it's
2: hard, right? It's hard. Connecting the data to the identity so your second two points is actually really tricky, and it's... I think it's a question of scale, right? And you talked about having 12,000 employees or more, and there's probably machine identities on top of those. And each of those has how many roles and how many permissions? I think this is a big number.
0: Uh, well, if you do the math, yeah, I did to, to even do, it comes out to trillions of combinations of potential combinations very, very quickly. So, you know, 12,000 times 400, an average of 10 roles per application 10 permissions per role i mean you get the the scale goes up you know extraordinarily quickly yeah in in just that simple math so uh, trillions is a lot
2: and uh, i don't think you're going to solve that problem i don't think anyone can solve that problem with human hands and so i certainly believe that the the world is ready for a radical approach this show is called identity radicals w- what's something radical that you've tried
0: to deal with that uh, huge identity problem. When you look at identity, again, I'm apparently I like the number three a lot of times because I think there are three c- critical components to managing identity. One is the identity orchestration piece, which is what I call identity orchestration. And that's really that who needs it, how do they request it, who approved it, um, how do they, they flow through the system to get the accesses that they need, right? You hire somebody, they come into your company and, and you don't want them to just sit around at their desk, twiddling their thumbs. I mean, unless that's the job you hired them for. And if that's open job, I want to talk to somebody because I'm good at it. Um, the second part of that is identity authentication, which is how do people actually use that identity that you've given them throughout all your applications, whether that's through an IDP in local uh, authentication, you know, directory structure, Linux, or whatever it is, People need to be able to authenticate in and you need to have some confidence that the authentication is correct, right? And then there's identity attestation, which is on the back end side is do the right people have the right access and did you miss something that you shouldn't have missed? So the radical side that we've done on two – is I'll start on the the orchestration side. One, we've built the system to do that orchestration that works for the company, but we've kind of flipped the attestation over in as well so that we do both sides of it. And we do what's called a pre-authorization. So based on a rollback model, we say these roles are approved to do these things in these applications. And if you don't have that authority assigned at the beginning, you can't even request that access because we've already determined you shouldn't have it. So by by looking at the attestation in reverse, we've been able to say, okay, now we can kind of build a framework around who should have access. It's not perfect. Nobody, you know, and it changes as people's job change and needs, and we learn and grow on that every day. But we've probably been able to eliminate 90% of those odd requests out there that somebody who's, I don't know, let's say they're, they're sitting as an analyst, you know, know, in, in finance, and they request the same level of access as the CFO, right? You're probably going to say no to that. You probably, you know, I don't know, everybody's business is different, but in our business, we're going to say no to that, Right. And and so we've been able to, to kind of define that and organize that and, and build that up front. And then when we come to the attestation side on the far end of that, now we have a framework to work from as well. Did we grant something outside of that approval process? Did we look at something that we shouldn't have? And so we have tools on both sides to do it, and that helps. And so, like I said, those are kind of the three aspects of identity management. You got to know the who, the what, the where, and approves. You got to be able to authenticate it, and then you have to prove that you did the right things. I really like the flip
2: on attestation, and it feels like a lot of times companies are basically taking their best guess on access, Mm -hmm. and then they're waiting maybe 89 days until the next quarterly review to see if they kind of got it right. And even that process, which is burdensome in itself, may not give you the correct answer. You're trying to be more preventative and uh, almost do the compliance on a continuous basis.
0: Almost. I mean, like I said, it it's and and if uh, well, I was gonna say this to your other comment is if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it, right? So it's never easy. But the idea is to get to at least at least as much as we can, right? So so there are certain things that you know aren't, aren't valid, certain things that you know aren't reasonable. So stop those from ever even starting to your point, because if you're waiting 90 days before you check it, what happens is, is that there's 89 days in there that they can be abusing privilege. They can, you know, be stealing data. They can, The cell phone camera, right? I don't even have to print it anymore. I can just bring it up on the screen, snap a picture, move on. And if it looks like legitimate access, it's very difficult to find in that. But if you've said that a person in that role, let's say in this example we were using of a clerk or an analyst, shouldn't have the same level of access as the CFO, you can continuously look for it. You can look to say that should have never happened to begin with. And so instead of being there for 89 days, you can stop it less than 89 minutes because you can have tools that can look in that on a fairly accurate and read and basis to at least determine all of this is wrong up front. Now, it's not going to determine everything, but that, because that takes some human intelligence on the backside until Chat GPT figures out how to do it. But that's a whole different problem. But you know the the humans go in and look at it the every eighty nine days, but at least there's an assurance that over that time, the majority of the stuff that should have never happened didn't. I talk in terms of bad permissions, and
2: I think that a lot of the systems that people have today are allowing bad permissions to propagate and to persist. And good access teams are are able to hunt these down on an ongoing basis and continually weed the garden, right? As I, that's the metaphor I use. You've got to weed the garden because every day they're growing and uh, each one that you leave there untreated becomes
0: a possible vector for intrusion. Absolutely. And, and not necessarily because people are being malicious, right? Uh, you can take some of the intentional malicious out of that, statement and just look at that as somebody who's hired into a company like myself I came into the company in one role and I've been promoted through six different roles before taking on this position um That permission level kind of follows in a normal organization, right? So I started out having certain roles here, and then I moved into the second one, and they added on what did I need for the second, and then they moved to the third, and then you add on some more and move to the fourth, and you add on some more. And by the time you get into the fourth or fifth role in your organization, you look back and go – First of all, I don't use half of those that I did when I was in the first role. Why do I still have them? And, and it's just good hygiene and cleanup practices to say the new roles don't need it. Get rid of it, right? Let the people who are who need to do that do it, but take it away from the people who don't. So like I said, it's not even taking the malicious statement out of it of somebody doing it intentionally, bad permission, it happens because of time and how people move around in the organization. And you have to realize you got to fix for that, too. It's not, always a, a, it's not always a threat actor doing something intentionally to harm you. It's your own practices not doing something which is harming you.
1: <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by VESA, the identity security company. 75% of breaches can be traced back to identities that were either compromised or abused. That's why companies use VESA to find and remove the risky access permissions that legacy tools just can't see. Secure your data wherever it lives with VESA. Learn more at VESA.com.
2: Everybody wants least privilege, and I don't think anybody feels like they've actually accomplished it. And maybe it's an impossible goal, I don't know. But you have an ally in your fight, and that is the internal audit team. And one of the things I've heard you say in the past that uh, I think is radical is that uh, you, you're, one of your goals would be to work the internal audit team out of a job. But these
0: are folks that are trying to, you know, maybe it's an aspirational thing. So what do you mean when you say that? So I always look at it this way. An audit team, and they are an effective team, and, and I don't want to alienate anybody or upset anybody because they do an incredible job but the point is is they are definitely looking at point in time so just like you're doing an attestation maybe every 90 days your internal audit team can't run continuously they're they're looking at it from a very specific standpoint and they're taking point in time you know evaluations and they're looking at that saying okay is anything wrong right here and right now and if it's wrong why is it wrong and helping build new processes because that's that's their job But if you can take that and turn that into an everyday thing or an every hour thing, now it becomes much more difficult for them point in time to find something that went wrong, right? And then you get the idea that you're making those adjustments faster. So that's why I say always in a sense – I want them to look at all the financials. I want them to do the work that they need to do to make sure the company stays around, does all the right things, is profitable, because I like being paid, and I want them to make sure that I continue to get paid. What I don't want them to have to do is expend an inordinate amount of time auditing access so that they can't look at all the other important stuff they need to look at. So I, I guess I'd flip that statement. is not to say out of a job, but let them focus on more important things than me. That, that makes sense. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's uh, hackers getting onto the sphere down the street. Yeah, exactly. Let, them, let the sphere worry about it. I don't want to worry about
2: it. <laughs> I think that just the word audit has sort of a, a reflexive connotation that makes people nervous. But of course, they're, they're here to help us make sure that the processes have control. And what I think people in your line of work have to worry about is, you know, getting too many compliance violations. They're called different things in different industries, but it may be a matter requiring attention or some kind of warning. We all want to stay out of Sox jail. I heard somebody recently say, hey, Vesa, can you help us get out of Sox jail? They were talking about Sarbanes-Oxley and not being in compliance because of something the auditors found. You know, what... What is the challenge? How often are CISOs in
0: SOX jail? Unfortunately, more often than they should be. And again, that's because they haven't really looked at these processes. And and you're probably right. There's probably some contention there in their audit teams. But uh, luckily, I I work with some great people and, and I have a good relationship with my audit team. And I always ask the question, how are you looking at that? How are you finding that? Right. What is it that you're trying to discover and why? And then work backwards from there to say, how do I do it better? How could I take what you do into an automated fashion and stop it before you ever find it? Because I, I always said, if I can find it and fix it before you, then it is not one of those audit findings, right? So I always look at it in that respect of saying, how do I, how do I bring it backwards down the chain? Simple security practice is push the issue farther and farther away from you. In the audit, it's I want to draw all those issues closer and closer to me. I want to bring it where I'm finding them before my audit team finds them. I want to see them faster than they can process them. I want to do, in a sense, every bit of work that they do, I want to automatically do it at a rate they can't keep up with. Because if I can keep finding them and ensuring that I'm fixing them from a metric standpoint, right? if I can change my processes that it never happens – one, audit's going to be happy because those findings, those issues, incidents, whatever they want to call them in your industry, they never occur in the first place. Well, isn't that the goal, right? So you talk about how do I get out of socks jail? Well, you get out of socks jail by not letting those things happen in the first place. So you need tooling like VESA to help you decide how does audit find it and then how do I find it faster than audit and then how do I make sure that I retool my processes so that it never occurs to begin with. How do you know if you're getting better?
2: This feels like a journey that you're on and there's always new challenges arriving and then you're coming up with new systems or buying new vendors to help you get better at this. How do you know if you're making headway? Is there any metric that you add up to see if you're you're getting to a place where you're catching all these things before the auditors Well,
0: there's nothing, nothing's particular. I mean, you can obviously, you can obviously look at segregation of duty. You can look at, you know, did I leave somebody active when they were terminated from the company and for how long was that access ever used? Did we leave access when somebody moved from one position to another response times on changes to access? There's a lot of different things you can measure, to make sure of it, can you a hundred percent know that an auditor will never find anything? It's their job to find something. You just want to make sure the something is small, first of all. And that's not always the case. But the true measure that I use is how how much am I being yelled at, right? How serious <laughs> is it?
2: So this is the same measure I use in domestic matters to see absolutely.
0: how absolutely it's just it's a perfect measure in this case, right? is my audit team sitting in front of me saying you've got 6000 problems and they're critical in these ways because these systems contain financials these systems contain you know sensitive data there's PCI violation whatever it is right is my audit team sitting to me telling me i've got this cacophony of problems or are they sitting in front of me saying well we found this thing over here it's not really a big deal but you should probably look at it Right In that case, I'm going, okay, I'm probably doing pretty well because they're basically just brushing it off saying, I got to find something. I got to tell you about something. But it's really not that bad. (laughs) Uh, It's
2: hard to make a dashboard, I suppose, to track the number of times you get yelled at. But I, I think the close analog would be to view these as process defects and to sort of keep a tab of how often you're getting defects and how severe are they. Is that number trending down over time? Then you're doing a good job.
0: Yeah, and, and well, that's not that a nice analytical way to put it, but it's really the amount of the, the, the intensity and veracity of being yelled at. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, well, we're not yelling at you, so I think you're doing a great job. Let me just turn and ask you some kind of more fun questions. I'm just curious, I always ask my guests, is there a movie out there that, that you do you think that you've enjoyed the most that has something to do with security
0: or hacking? Well, I, you know, I always go to Swordfish. I mean, you know, the hacking. Mo- okay, let's just put this. If you could be in front of a computer as a hacker with Halle Berry drinking wine, wouldn't you do that? I, I feel like if I answered that. I've got question, an open chair. She's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I could get yelled at for, for answering that question the wrong way. Well, me too. And if my wife sees this, she's going to yell at me for saying it. But let's just be honest. I mean, that is that is the most – from that perspective, I am not John Travolta. I don't have his talent for movies. Halle Berry is never going to come sit in my office and talk to me about cybersecurity. But, you know, there's the dream. The dream She's missing happen. out. She really right? doesn't know what she's, she's missing, missing out. Absolutely.
2: That's what we're going to say. David, you know what? One thing I think that's always really interesting for our listeners is to know where leaders get – their information from and you know how do you find out about new technologies or new techniques that you might want to
0: try at win well, I talk to a lot of people. I talk to my peers. I attend conferences like Black Hat and DEF CON. I sit in in groups all the time and have those, those types of conversations. I do an immense amount of reading online. It's amazing that the security community has grown a little bit and that they share information. They're not quite... Hundred uh, percent, there. Security professionals, unlike hackers, tend to try to hold everything close to their chest and not share. But that's changing, and I, I do. I do think that's great. That it's, I'm a big proponent of sharing, sharing process, sharing techniques, sharing everything we can. Not the not the the proprietary that you have to protect, or or the you know whatever. But at least sharing what you can, and so. I helped found a group here of CISOs in town in Las Vegas that still exists. We get together on a quarterly basis and we talk through issues. We we do that. No offense to vendors, but vendor agnostic. We keep them out of the room so that the you know well so that we can talk bad about them if we need to, right? You got to have your safe um, space. Exactly. And, and, and those conversations help tremendously because, and it's not just gaming. It's multitudes of industry here in town is, is coming together from a senior leadership. And that, like I said, along with the reading stuff, looking amazingly, if you, if you look at the LinkedIn, um, Profiles of a lot of security professionals and go through the feed. It's amazing how many new things they're sharing. You know, oh, I think this is great, or I think this product does well, or I'm looking at this and you get a lot of understanding. So there's multitudes of avenues to do that, but it, it really does. It's about, it's about working with the security professionals. Because I can't see everything, they can't see everything. So we need to talk about what we're all seeing so that everybody gets an idea of what's coming. And every industry is different too. So some things that I think are important, other people are like, I don't care. And but in their industry, something else is important. So I think the combination of velocity with so much change coming so
2: quickly, plus opacity with a lot of people keeping things close to the vest makes it hard to learn what's going on. And so Things like what we're doing right now, networking sessions, person-to-person contact, kind of the, the best way to get the, uh, the freshest info.
0: I agree. And like I said, the, the, by the time something gets published, it's normally outdated. But if you have a personal relationship, one-on-one conversations, data feeds that you're looking at, you tend to get it faster. If someone listening to this is uh, wanting
2: to learn and they're hoping to rise up the ranks and maybe get to the same title that you've achieved...
0: Do you have any career advice for people that are making their name in security today? The one thing I would, I always tell people, especially guys that work for me and, and same conversations come up, just be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And goal of taking on a CISO title, I know a lot of people have that goal, and I did. Was I 100% prepared for what it meant? No. I've learned a lot since I've been in this role and there's a lot more of conversation around business objectives than uh, than I thought there was going to be understanding of financials understanding of of you know business operations and and those kinds of things so y- really take a strategic look at what you're trying to achieve. And there's nothing wrong with becoming that that SME in the technical world instead of the CISO, right? If that's where your talents lie and your interests lie, and I'm, I'm just saying that from know where you're going, talk to the people who are in those roles in your industry, ask them what their challenges are, what keeps them up at night, what are the things that surprised them when they took the position, that in and of itself will give you a better understanding of the role. That's the first thing, right? Second thing is learn as much as you can and be as creative as you can to help the company. I find people in my role too often are impediment to success of a business. And I that's not our role. Our role is to empower the business to move forward effectively, safely, and correctly. And so, the more we can do that, the more we get, in a sense, out of the way, but we protect the organization at the same time, the better off we are. The joke is the Cisno, and you never want to be the Cisno, right? So understand how to be creative and listen. The last time I checked security operations, security organizations, unless they are, that's your business, like you're a, you know an MSSP or you're in the, the business. We don't typically, we're not typical revenue generators for a company. We spend money really well, but we don't make it for the company. So, you know, somebody striving to be in my role, figure out how to do the security job and enable the company to make the money the way they want to, because that's what right, that's what basically pays your paycheck, that revenue coming in. So the more you can help the company make, the longer the company's going to be around, the better off they're going to be. And they're going to go, that's the guy helping us make the millions. Let's make sure we pay him or her. Don't aspire to be the CISNO, but aspire to learn how the business makes money and try to be an enabler towards that end. Right. And build and- security into that enablement. The, the the term is out there, security first, right? Everybody wants to say we take a security first approach. And yet, how many times do you hear that security is the afterthought? Well, that doesn't make it first. So let's be first, but understand it's not about stopping the business moving forward. It's about enabling the business to go in every direction they want as fast as they want safely. Just add that word to the end, safely. Safely. Who could argue with that? Okay.
2: Well, David, this, as always, has been fantastic. I'm grateful to you for spending some time with me this morning. And uh, you know that you're welcome here on the show anytime. To our listeners, let me just say this has been Identity Radicals brought to you by VESA. If you're enjoying hearing from leaders like David, be sure to subscribe and check this out wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, let's be safe out there.
1: Thanks for listening to Identity Radicals brought to you by VESA, the identity security company. To learn how to secure your organization's identity access, visit Beza.com. Please leave us a rating and review and subscribe to the podcast to get each new episode as they're released. See you again next time.